This is Imaging of Adrenal Adenomas and Incidentalomas, and I'm Dr. Dan Koval from Radiologist Headquarters. So just a brief overview, I'll be talking mainly about adrenal adenoma, the lipid-rich and the lipid-poor types. We'll go over a washout calculation when evaluating an adrenal nodule, and I'll also talk about CT or MRI, which is the best modality for a particular nodule. We'll finish with management of adrenal incidentaloma discussion comparing the endocrinology guidelines versus the radiology recommendations, which is a bit of a controversial topic. Ooh. So starting with a case, we have a right adrenal nodule here, posterior to the inferior vena cava. If we place a region of interest on that nodule, we get a Hounsfeld unit density of negative 23. Hounsfeld units is the unit we use on CT scan to determine density of a particular structure. So the incidental adrenal nodule usually represents a benign adrenal adenoma. It's the most common adrenal lesion. It's usually non-functioning, meaning non-hormone secreting. And an autopsy series is a prevalence of about 9% in the general population. CT scan is not quite as good at detecting adrenal nodules, but close. We incidentally detect adrenal masses in up to 7% of patients undergoing routine CTs. So the non-contrast density or attenuation is usually diagnostic for an adrenal adenoma. And that's because 70% of adenomas will be lipid-rich, meaning they have a low density with an attenuation of 10 Hounsfeld units or less. And again, in this case, the density was negative 23 Hounsfeld units consistent with a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma. And then moreover, 98% of homogeneous adrenal masses with an attenuation value of 10 or less Hounsfeld units will be benign. Most of those will be lipid-rich adrenal adenomas, like in this case, but also adrenal cysts and myelolipomas fall into that category. So here's another case. We have a non-contrast CT scan. You can tell it's non-contrast because there is no enhancement within the inferior vena cava or aorta. And there's a homogeneous, well-circumscribed left adrenal nodule. So let's measure the density. You can see the Hounsfeld units is 15. Hmm, what do we do with that? That's more than 10, so this is not consistent with a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma. But could it be a lipid-poor adenoma? So we could then do a three-phase adrenal CT scan. So with that study, we'd start with a non-contrast CT. We'd inject intravenous contrast and then image the adrenal glands 60 to 90 seconds after the time of injection, and that would be the portal venous phase. You can see the portal veins and the inferior vena cava and aorta are all enhancing. And then we'd image again 15 minutes after the time of contrast injection, giving us a delayed phase of enhancement. And because we're doing a three-phase scan, we would only image the adrenal glands because we really want to minimize the radiation. There's no, no reason to image the lower chest. Once you have that information, you could then calculate the percent enhancement washout. There are plenty of online calculators that will make that a lot easier to do for you, but if you want to be old school and do the calculation by hand, here's the formula. So it's the enhanced density minus the delayed density divided by the enhanced density minus the unenhanced density. And in this case, if we plug in the numbers we obtained, we get a percent enhancement washout of 73%. And if it's more than 60%, that's diagnostic of an adenoma. That's based on the study initially by Dr. Caioli in 2002, which showed a sensitivity of 98% and a specificity of 92% for this equation. If you don't have the non-contrast series, you can also do a percent uh, relative washout, taking the enhanced minus the delayed density over the enhanced density. In this case, we get a percent relative washout of 57%. And if it's more than 40% relative washout, that's also consistent with an adenoma. The percent enhancement washout, though, is um, a more powerful predictor of adenoma and should be used um, over the percent relative washout when available. So to summarize the adrenal adenoma CT workup, 
and this is based on the 2017 ACR Incidental Findings Committee recommendations. If you have an adrenal mass with a non-contrast density of 10 Hounsfeld units or less, that's consistent with a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma, and you can stop imaging. If the adrenal mass has a non-contrast density of more than 10 Hounsfeld units, then you could do an enhanced CT with 15-minute delays, the three-phase CT. And if the enhancement washout is more than 60%, that's consistent with a lipid-poor adrenal adenoma, and you can stop imaging. So if the enhancement washout is less than 60%, it's an indeterminate adrenal lesion. And then based on the clinical scenario, imaging follow-up, biopsy, PET-CT, or resection may be indicated. So what about MRI in the workup of adrenal adenoma or an adrenal nodule? How does that factor in? So MRI actually has similar accuracy to a non-contrast CT, particularly for lipid-rich adrenal adenomas. And due to the presence of intracellular or microscopic lipid that's present in the adrenal adenoma, most adenomas will demonstrate a loss of signal, meaning they'll become darker on the opposed phase images. And a signal drop of more than 20% is diagnostic of a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma. So you can see in this case, this is a T1 in-phase MRI of the adrenal glands, and there are bilateral adrenal nodules. On the opposed phase T1-weighted image, you can see that these nodules become dark, and that's diagnostic of adrenal adenomas. So here's another example of a right adrenal nodule on an in-phase T1-weighted image. You can see it looks fairly bright, but on the opposed phase T1-weighted image, it becomes dark, also consistent with an adrenal adenoma. So not to get too much into MRI physics here, but water protons precess, meaning they spin, at a slightly higher frequency than lipid protons. And for chemical shift imaging, which is what we have here in anatophase imaging, a T1-weighted gradient echo sequence is used, and that does not have a 180-degree refocusing pulse, which allows lipid and water protons to precess or spin in and out of phase at different echo times. So spin echo and fast spin echo sequences are in-phase techniques because they do have a 180-degree refocusing pulse. Uh, but in this case, we don't have that. This is a gradient echo sequence. So what happens is on the in-phase image, signal from water and lipid within the same voxel are additive, meaning you get this brighter signal. And that's why sometimes this microscopic intracellular fat is referred to as intravoxel fat. On the opposed phase images, though, you get this destructive interference of water and lipid protons that are in the same voxel, and the signal cancels out, and you get this signal dropout or darkening. And you can also tell that this is an out-of-phase image because you get this edge artifact along the fat-water interface, and that's known as India ink or etching artifact. It almost looks like a cartoon drawing where you've gone around all the organs with a magic marker. And the other name for that, because everything in radiology has multiple names, is chemical shift artifact of the second kind. So you see that in all pixels along the fat-water interface. Here's another example. The image above shows a T1 in-phase image showing a right adrenal nodule posterior to the inferior vena cava. On the opposed phase image, you can see that it becomes very dark, diagnostic of a lipid-rich adenoma. And you can compare that signal drop to the spleen or skeletal muscle, showing that it's actually getting darker. It is a good idea to use the skeletal muscle or spleen as a reference marker since those structures don't normally have microscopic fat and should not drop out on the opposed phase T1-weighted image. You do have to be a little careful with the spleen, though, since on the in-phase image, if there's iron deposition within the spleen, you might get T2 star artifact causing blooming and darkening of the spleen. So that's why I tend to prefer comparing to skeletal muscle. 
And in case you didn't believe me, this was from the earlier image that I showed you for the non-contrast CT, which was also diagnostic for lipid-rich adrenalinoma with a density of negative 23 Hounsfeld units. So what about lipid-poor adrenal adenomas? How do we evaluate those? Here's an example of a left adrenal nodule with a non-contrast density of 23.5 Hounsfeld units. So that's much greater than 10. Uh, that's not consistent with a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma. So 30% of adrenal adenomas will be lipid-poor, meaning they'll measure more than 10 Hounsfeld units on a non-contrast CT. And those can mimic malignant adrenal masses because the density is so high. An MRI unfortunately has decreased ability to detect these lipid-poor adenomas because the whole mechanism of chemical shift relies on the intravoxel fat, right? Interestingly though, compared to non-contrast CT, MRI can actually be useful in evaluating these hyperattenuating adrenal masses, meaning nodules that measure more than 10 household units. There's a study by Dr. Israel that showed 62% of adenomas greater than 10 Hounsfeld units on non-enhanced CT were actually definitively characterized with chemical shift MRI. A different study showed the chemical shift MRI sensitivity for adenoma was 67% for adenomas that were more than 10 Hounsfeld units. And that sensitivity was increased to 89% when only adenomas that had a density of more than 10 and less than 30 were evaluated. So how do we use this clinically? The bottom line is MRI might be helpful even if an adrenal mass is indeterminate on a non-contrast CT, particularly if this mass demonstrates a non-contrast density of less than 20 to 30 Hounsfeld units. So if the non-contrast density is 20 or 30 Hounsfeld units, it's best to go right to washout CT as opposed to MRI to further characterize the adrenal nodule. So here's an example to bring that point home. You can see that there's a right adrenal nodule, well circumscribed and homogeneous on this non-contrast CT scan. Placing a region of interest on this nodule, you can see that the density is 40 Hounsfeld units. So that's clearly higher than 10 Hounsfeld units. This is not consistent with a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma, but it could still be a lipid-poor adenoma. So based on this density, what do you think we should do, an MRI or a three-phase CT? So an MRI was done, and you could see on the above in-phase image, the nodule is posterior to the inferior vena cava, and on the opposed phase T1 weighted image below, there's not really any signal dropout. In fact, the nodule actually looks darker on the in-phase image, not the opposed phase image. So this does not help. It doesn't characterize the nodule. However, if we do a three-phase CT scan, again, the non-contrast portal venous phase and 15-minute delayed phase, we acquire these density measurements on each of the three phases. We calculate the percent enhancement washout. In this case, you can see that it's 68%, which is more than 60%, and this is therefore diagnostic of a lipid-poor adrenal adenoma. So this is a nice example showing how MRI will often not be able to further characterize a nodule that's indeterminate on CT with a density of more than 20 to 30 Hounsfeld units. There's just not enough intravoxel fat to detect on chemical shift imaging. And in that case, you should go right to a three-phase CT and save the patient anxiety and additional cost. All right, so when do you use an MRI or a CT? This is a summary chart that compares the two modalities. So MRI is typically preferred in patients who have a contraindication to the iodinated contrast we use with CT. And that's typically if they have a contrast allergy or renal insufficiency and they're not on dialysis. It's also great for younger patients because there's no ionizing radiation. So even though we narrow the three-phase CT to just image the adrenal glands, there is still radiation, which we don't have on MRI. 
MRI is also excellent if there's a high suspicion for adrenal hemorrhage, as this modality has the greatest specificity in making this diagnosis. And again, if the non-contrast CT density of a nodule is more than 10 but less than 20 or 30, that's the ideal place to get an MRI. MRI is also potentially better for small lesions because it can be difficult to put a region of interest on a very small adrenal nodule on CT scan. But there is no data for CT or MRI accuracy in characterizing adrenal masses less than one centimeter. All the studies I've been referring to evaluate nodules that are a centimeter or more in size. And the ACR Incidental Findings Committee recommendations suggest that nodules less than one centimeter in size may not need further evaluation. Washout CT is great for patients who have contraindications to MRI, particularly patients with pacemakers, severe claustrophobia. Also, if a lesion is not characterized on MRI or a non-contrast CT, you might be able to further characterize that based on the washout density, as I've been demonstrating. And again, if the non-contrast CT density is more than 20 or 30 Hounsfeld units, and there's no real suspicion of adrenal hemorrhage, washout CT is your next best study. So how do you manage an incidental adrenal nodule? So let's go back to 2007. Endocrinologist Dr. Young at that time recommended repeat imaging studies at 6, 12, and 24 months for lesions characterized as adrenal adenomas on CT. He acknowledged that there are no data from large long-term studies to support these recommendations. Also, he stated, if an adrenal mass is 4 centimeters or more in size, or if it enlarges by 1 centimeter or more during a period of observation, adrenalectomy should be considered. Interestingly, in the same year from the radiology literature, Dr. Song did a study evaluating 290 patients with 321 lesions over a three-year period. These patients all had incidentally detected but indeterminate uh, adrenal nodules, so these were not characterized as adrenal adenomas. However, they looked fairly benign and the patients had no known history of malignancy. The average size of these lesions was 2.1 centimeters, but some are quite large, reaching up to 6 centimeters. And at the end of the three-year period, all of these 321 lesions were benign. Even though they weren't fully characterized, uh, they were determined to be benign. Of note, though, three were clinically unsuspected functioning adrenal masses, although still benign. Dr. Song did a study the following year evaluating over 1,000 incidental adrenal masses, also in patients with no known history of malignancy, and also these patients had no malignant lesions identified. Most of the nodules identified were adenomas and myelolipomas, benign. So these studies and multiple subsequent studies have brought about the development of two major follow-up algorithms for the management of incidental adrenal nodules. We have the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists and Endocrine Surgeons 2009 Medical Guidelines compared to the American College of Radiology Incidental Findings Committee 2017 recommendations. And I'll just highlight some of the major features of these two algorithms. The endocrinology guidelines state that the goal of imaging is to distinguish among adrenal adenoma, adrenal carcinoma, pheochromocytoma, and metastatic lesions. The radiology recommendations seek to differentiate a benign leave-alone mass, like a non-hyperfunctioning mass, myelolipoma, hemorrhage, or cyst, from one that warrants treatment, like a metastasis, adrenal carcinoma, and a hyperfunctioning adrenal tumor. The endocrinology guidelines state that patients with adrenal incidentalomas smaller than 4 centimeters and characteristics consistent with a benign adenoma need to have radiographic reevaluation at 3 to 6 months and then annually for 1 to 2 years, so similar to Dr. Young's recommendations. 
However, the radiology recommendations state that if an adrenal mass has diagnostic features of a benign mass, such as a myelolipoma, cyst, hemorrhage, or lipid-rich adenoma, no further imaging is needed. So you see a major difference there between the two algorithms, whereas radiology states that if it's a non-functioning adenoma, we don't need to follow it up anymore. Radiology recommendations go on to state that if you have a mass that does not have diagnostic features, meaning it's not characterized as an adenoma or other benign mass, if it measures one to two centimeters, you could consider a follow-up adrenal CT or MRI in 12 months to document stability. But they don't mandate that follow-up is required since it's statistically still likely a benign nodule. However, if the nodule measures more than two centimeters and less than four centimeters, you should consider a more prompt follow-up imaging study to characterize that. All right, now, the endocrinology guidelines state that if the tumor grows more than one centimeter or more, or if it becomes hormonally active, during follow-up, surgical excision should be considered, whereas the radiology recommendations note that there is not a known growth rate threshold to differentiate benign from malignant adrenal masses, so they don't describe a specific threshold. However, they do state if there are no diagnostic benign imaging features, but the adrenal mass has been stable for one year or more, it's very likely benign and no additional imaging is required. Meaning, if you cannot characterize it as an adenoma, but it has benign features and it's been stable for a year, you can stop following it up. Here we do have a point of agreement. The endocrinology guidelines state that if the mass is four centimeters or more, you should resect it. And radiology agrees if there are no benign diagnostic features or history of cancer, surgical resection is recommended to treat possible primary adrenal cortical carcinoma. However, they do imply that if there are imaging features diagnostic of lipid-rich adrenal adenoma, regardless of size, no further imaging is needed. So I apologize for all the word slides there, but I just wanted to highlight these two algorithms and show you the differences between the two. It would be nice if at some point these organizations would come together to create a combined algorithm, but in the meantime, it's good to know that there are differences and both algorithms make valid points for follow-up. All right, now here's another case showing a homogeneous enhancing right adrenal mass, well circumscribed, posterior to the inferior vena cava. It's very nonspecific, but looks benign. And this turned out to be an aldosteronoma. So let me talk a little bit about functional adrenal neoplasms. This is a patient with an aldosteronoma, which causes Kahn syndrome, which is also known as primary hyperaldosteronism. And in these patients, you have a high aldosterone level which leads to low renin levels, and these patients often have hypertension and hypokalemia. Two-thirds are due to benign hyperfunctioning adenomas, and a third are due to bilateral adrenal hyperplasia. Compare that to Cushing syndrome, which is due to an excess secretion of glucocorticoids. Most of those are caused by adrenal hyperplasia, uh, with a smaller percentage due to adenoma. Of note, though, both of these functioning syndromes could be due to adrenal cortical carcinoma, although less common. This is a patient who had an aldosteronoma in the setting of Gardner syndrome. You could see these irregular soft tissue masses in the mesentery from resected desmoid tumors that had partially recurred. And the patient had also had a colectomy due to the high risk of colon cancer in these patients. All right, now imaging cannot distinguish hyperfunctioning from non-hyperfunctioning adenomas, unfortunately. There's nothing in this case that would tell you, oh yes, that's a functioning adrenal nodule. It could very well be a non-functioning adrenal adenoma. And, of course, endocrine workup of the incidental adrenal mass is somewhat controversial. So those 2009 endocrinology guidelines state that the detection of an adrenal lesion should prompt biochemical evaluation unless it is an obvious myelolipoma. 
They also state hormonal evaluation should be performed at the time of diagnosis and then annually for up to five years. Now, the initial 2010 ACR Incidental Findings Committee recommendations used to state that biochemical evaluation should be considered only if there were clinical signs or symptoms of adrenal hyperfunction. However, they've updated that in 2017 to state that on the basis of clinical recommendations from our endocrine and surgical colleagues, we now advise consideration for routine biochemical evaluation for most incidentally discovered adrenal masses. And that's because some benign adenomas might actually develop cortisol hypersecretion and cause subclinical Cushing syndrome. And one study showed that 70% of pheochromocytomas were actually discovered incidentally. That doesn't mean they were malignant pheochromocytomas, but still potentially functioning and therefore life-threatening pheochromocytomas. However, it's unclear which masses should undergo endocrine evaluation. There's not agreement as far as what biochemical assays do you perform, and also if initially normal, do you repeat these assays and when? All right, that's it for imaging of adrenal adenomas and incidentalomas. Thank you for your attention. If you enjoyed this video lecture, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review and subscribed to Radiologist Headquarters on Apple Podcasts, or please like and subscribe on YouTube so that others may find it. You can also visit radiologisthq.com for additional reference material. Thanks.